as a little preamble to the sermon. Let us all be aware that you have called a fairly earnest minister to a fairly earnest church, (laughs) and that there are times for levity and there are times for comedy, and I'd love it if you laughed at parts of this sermon. The first time I realized this congregation had a good sense of humor was long before I became its minister. My first time leading teenagers on their coming-of-age trip from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to Boston, we all stopped in Concord on the way back for a quick look at First Parish. Church member Marianne Wheeler gave us a tour that started in the parlor and concluded in the sanctuary. Before getting on the road for Pennsylvania, the whole group took the opportunity to use the church's restrooms. Imagine my surprise to see a photograph of Ralph Waldo Emerson above the urinal in the men's room. Waldo's wry smile and hand placement suggest that he too might have needed to go. I laughed out loud. Here was a church known for its formality and tradition that could gently poke fun at one of its most famous parishioners and poke fun at itself. I thought to myself, what must it be like to be the minister here? (laughs) Little did I know that I would get the chance to find out firsthand. Women... I'm sure the men of the church would graciously facilitate a peek at Mr. Emerson's photograph if you just ask one of them. Of course, First Parish in Concord has many traditions, some slightly comical, all heartfelt. How could it not? It has been gathering on this spot for 380 years. It has been the religious home for thousands of men, women, and children. It is unique among churches, Unitarian Universalist and otherwise, and it has much in common with other churches, too. Most of its odd practices do not, in fact, set it apart. Rather, they show the deep wisdom that comes from generations of love and care. And lest we imagine that our odd practices came from nowhere, let us remember that First Parish in Concord has been a place of distinct custom from its very beginning. Reaching clear back to our colonial days, this church has had a distinct way of conducting itself. Writing in the meeting house on the green, Mary Fenn says, Church services in Concord were long and uncomfortable in the 1600s, with straight-backed, uncushioned benches. The hourglass was turned three times before the sermon finally droned to a close. (laughs) It was particularly trying. In winter, she goes on, in an unheated meeting house, and it's no wonder that the women rested their feet on little foot stoves filled with hot embers so dear to antique dealers today. The people stood for prayers and hymns, The prayer could go on for almost an hour. 
A three-hour service was especially hard on the farmers who were accustomed to an active life, and when their legs became cramped from sitting so long, they would quietly stand for a time while listening attentively to the sermon. The tithing man was kept busy wakening sleepers, disorderly young people, and dogs who followed their members into the service created further problems for those early ancestors of ours. Seating the meeting house was an annual event that caused a great deal of dissatisfaction. Seats were assigned with two criteria. The oldest members and the most affluent ones received the choicest seats. Another problem arose when some persons, disgruntled with their assigned seats, moved forward into unoccupied places. With these types of customs and disagreements in our DNA, it's fun to look at the ways that we are still currently slightly askew as a congregation. One of the joys of serving a congregation such as First Parish in Concord is the way is in the ways local congregational customs can be traced back to previous generations. One can see how these customs are reformed to serve the current generations. There are dozens of examples of deep wisdom behind odd practices here, and I'll lift up just a few. Let's start with Christmas Eve. My colleagues look at me in horror when I tell them that I will lead four Christmas Eve services on December 24th. But we need them. Christmas Eve at First Parish is a tradition for many people. I love seeing all the young adults who were children in this church coming home for the holidays and coming to those services. I love the noisy exuberance of the child-friendly services and the stately elegance of the later services. But boy, did I get in real trouble that first year here when I failed to hold up my candle at the end of Silent Night. Having never seen this custom before, I was completely unaware of its importance to those who had gathered. And rather than doing it yourselves, you just blamed me for destroying the end of the service. (laughs) There was maybe a little too much blaming that first year, all the way around. And it was really too bad that year that my mind reader was in the shop for repairs. And then there's the benediction. Should it be spoken or sung or both? Given that it is the de facto mission statement of the congregation, its hallowed place in the service is unquestioned. And woe to any minister who can't quite remember exactly how it goes. (laughs) Surely St. Paul, who was pretty rigid himself, is somewhere smiling at our use of his words. Add to our list spirit of life and find a stillness. For many, these bookends are what make the time of prayer and meditation complete. And then there is the weekly talking through the prelude. I was so amused last week during our organ dedication service when Eric's prelude got louder. You all just yelled at each other to talk (laughs) over it. This is just what you do. You are excited to see each other on a Sunday morning, and you want to talk to each other. 
Folks will disagree about whether this is the way it should be or not, but it is one of our odd practices. A few of us take communion from the church's silver on Monday, Thursday, and then we eat fish chowder. Just tradition. Hot bouillon is served after church in the winter, and the spring coffee hour happens in the herb garden. Dinners in the parish hall, be it the Women's Parish Association or Open Table, all have cloth, tablecloths, napkins, and centerpieces. The simplest of events has a gracious air here. And one of the strangest things for me to get used to here is the timing of social events. I come from a culture that eats right away when an event starts. <laughs> Armed with potluck dishes, my people come from an eat-it-while-it's-hot mentality. <laughs> if a dinner starts at 6 p.m., food will pour in at 5.45 p.m., and all will be chowing down by 6.15. Here, a 6 p.m. dinner means folks will start to arrive by 6.15, Drinks and appetizers will accompany chatting until about 7.30. <laughs> a salad course will be served, often by hired servers, followed by a main course. Don't expect dessert before 8.30, and dinner won't really conclude for at least an hour after that. Dinner at First Parish in Concord is an all-evening event. This is not better, not worse, just different. And it may explain why we appeal to some people and not to others. In an article in the Christian Century, James Nyman, who's president of the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago, writes, Whenever we encounter something in a congregation or really in any group that makes no sense to us, it's easy to conclude that it makes no sense at all. Far more difficult is to retain an open posture towards such practices, to await an, altern an alternate rationality that may be driving the strange thing we have only newly encountered. He continues, After looking at many faith communities, I've learned that even when local ways have become, become unhealthy or unsustainable, that rarely means that they are senseless or stupid. It's more likely that I just don't understand yet, as the locals do. Part of my three-year adjustment to First Parish has been learning your odd practices. And part of your three-year adjustment to me has been learning mine. I'm keenly aware that I will be your minister for a relatively short period of time. In a church that sticks with its ministers for an average of 24 years, I will likely be on the list of short-timers, and that's okay. My interim minister colleagues like to remind those of us who are settled that all ministries are interim ministries. Ministry is an itinerant profession. Ministers go where they are called for as long as they are called. They are temporary guardians of institutions. They must simultaneously maintain 
and encouraged to change. A wise minister respects the healthy traditions of a congregation while not being held hostage by the hidebound ones. There's an old joke that children like that asks, how do you hide an elephant in a cherry tree? How do you hide an elephant in a cherry tree? You paint its toenails red. (laughs) And this leads me to the last and largest way First Parish in Concord keeps itself slightly askew. We laugh at the joke because we know that there would be no way to actually hide an elephant in a cherry tree, even if you could get one up there. So why would a large congregation insist on acting like it was much smaller than it actually is? First Parish in Concord is an elephant trying to hide in a cherry tree. Despite its size, our congregation perpetuates the myth that it is just a regular New England church of somewhere between 100 and 200 members that needs little needs do little more than paint its toenails red to fit in. People look at me like I am speaking Swahili when I refer to large church practices. They honestly don't believe me when I refer to our congregation as having influence and power. In the same breath, Our members refer to this church and its neighbors in Lincoln, Carlisle, Stowe, and Sudbury as if we were all really just about the same. And while we don't want to lord our size over anyone else, by playing small, we abdicate the tremendous power for good we could have in the Metro West region. By playing small, we shrug off the good influence we could have on the larger Unitarian Universalist denomination. Just as it is tempting to count our blessings that nothing bad ever happens in the suburbs, we could easily be sanguine about this beautiful, proper old church. Heaven knows there is enough misery and trouble in the world without going looking for it. I don't know if you know this or not, but buses haul visitors by the thousands through Concord this time of year. Those buses always pause briefly in front of First Parish so the tour guide can say something about our beautiful old church. My guess is we are simply another prop in a history-soaked day trip through quaint New England. Just a pause before the bus moves on to the old North Bridge. And I wonder if the tour guides have been taking less time in front of First Parish this year because of our Black Lives Matter banner. I wonder if the passengers have taken fewer photographs. In fact, I would guess that the side of our church building has been photographed more this year than usual. (laughs) You see, it's not easy to Photoshop a Black Lives Matter banner out of a pretty picture. So, 
what if we just painted our toenails bright blue or orange instead of red? We would still be an elephant. We would still be up in a cherry tree. But we would be hiding less. We would be more conspicuous, more noticeable. People might listen to us a bit more. We might embrace our power a little more. We might be bolder. Much of what makes First Parish in Concord, First Parish in Concord, should not go away. But any odd practices that hold us back should be quietly left for the history books. So be it. Amen.